Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's our third post-game edition of September 2023. Penn State 3-0. We have three different victories to talk about, certainly all different shapes and forms. And we have what James Franklin called a pretty uh, Big Ten road victory for Penn State. 30-13 win for the Nittany Lions to get to 3-0. We'll talk about how they got there, and we're joined right now by Daniel Gallon. I'm here in our Happy Valley headquarters. Daniel is out at Memorial Stadium, tucked away in a nice, quiet area. We're happy you're able to find that for yourself. And Daniel, uh, I guess you're fresh out of hearing from a lot of different players. You were there for James Franklin's post-game media session as well. Let's start with the head coach, and he hammered home the point that I think he knows what the narrative is going to be on this one, that there weren't a lot of style points out there for Penn State, and they had to lean on the takeaways. But he talked about how much he loved this win. Yeah, I I think James Franklin kind of laid it out there that you've got an 11 a.m. start on the road against a Big Ten team that typically plays teams tough, even if it isn't necessarily the best program in the conference. Or, you know, this year, you know, maybe they'll be flirting with bowl eligibility might be a little closer than we thought. Um, But James Franklin made it clear that this is what life is like in the Big Ten. These are the types of games you need to win. And Penn State came out on the right side of it today. So I think that's a testament to, you know, this team's talent and ability and the coaching that even though it wasn't the the cleanest or most perfect game, that Penn State came out with a a pretty good win. They were 3-0 overall, 1-0 in the Big Ten. Yeah, Bo Prabula uh, taking over as quarterback very early in the fourth quarter, and it wasn't because Drew Aller was injured. It wasn't because Drew Aller uh, was under duress. It was because this game was tucked away. You had a three-possession lead, and James Franklin determined it was time to, to put the back quarterback in. But this was the first time, and, and I don't know how long, not during his high school senior year much, not during his high school junior year much, um, but Drew Aller really faced moments where it just wasn't coming together for him and his offense. And Finished the day actually under 50%, just just below that at 16 of 33 passing uh, for 208 yards. Uh, no touchdowns. It was actually Trey Potts, as we'll get to a little bit later, who threw the only touchdown pass of this matchup to tight end Tyler Warren along the way. But the big zero as well in the turnover department on the day when Luke Altmeyer had four interceptions. Some of them were just like, dude, why are you trying to force that? You didn't have a lot of those forced throws. I think there was one of those uh-oh passes from Drew Aller that ended up landing on the turf. But 13 career games, no turnovers counted against Drew Aller. And this game in particular felt like one of those, whether it was a fumble in the pocket or whether it was just a poorly thrown pass, could have tipped the scales in a couple moments where momentum was up for grabs midway through this game. Yeah, I, I think that today also showed that the value um, of not turning the ball over, of avoiding those mistakes um, and how they can snowball because you look at uh, Illinois' touchdown to make it make it a game um, in the early going. That was a sequence that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later where a personal foul leads to a 15-yard penalty, which leads to a you know third and unmanageable, which leads to a long field goal, which leads to a miss, which leads to a short field. And you know, you, you kind of saw the, the snowball uh, in that little sequence right there. You know, Penn State has avoided that for the most part overall, um, you know, in the big picture. But in that small moment, um, they had to deal with that. Um, and you saw it there. So, you know, that's really where the value of Drew Aller taking care of the football uh, is in. He talks about how 
uh, you know, Penn State, the, the one number, the one stat that they want to be number one in at the end of the year is wins. But he also said that they want to be up there in turnover differential. That's, you know, something that is very, very important to them. That's something that, you know, he takes a lot of pride in. And while, you know, that approach from him doesn't necessarily lead to maybe some of the fireworks we thought we might see this year in terms of downfield passing, in terms of, you know, putting the ball into a tight window, um, you know, some excitement. I think it's hard to argue with the results so far um, and the efficiency that uh, the Penn State offense has been able to show, even if today it wasn't the most connected um, experience. You and I are going to get into some receiver talk a little bit later. They were without Harrison Wallace, who I picked as as the player of the game in my predictions going into the matchup, uh, and and obviously not available for them. That changed the complexion of the receiver group, and and collectively was a bit of a letdown. I, I think a kind of a clunker of a performance going into Big Ten play after some of the positive strides that we appeared to see through the first two matchups. But first and foremost, Drew Allers, the, the, the trigger man here, and when he goes from completing 85% of his passes against Delaware, right around 80% of his passes through the first couple weeks to dipping below 50% and you know stepping in front of the microphones here, including yours, uh, after a road start, first time of him doing that, what was his reaction to some of the, I, I guess, concerns or uh, I suppose questions that were asked after this matchup of, about this passing attack? He, he talked a lot about how there's going to be a lot of really good things to learn from uh, on the film after this one. Um, you know, he did kind of lean on the fact that things are never going to be perfect, that there's always going to be stuff to look at. You know, he brought up that these first two games against West Virginia and Delaware, even though there was a lot of good things that Penn State put on tape, he said there's still a lot of things that they needed to improve on. Uh, he also said, he also dropped the line that, they talk about in the room about how things are never as good as they seem and never as bad as they seem. And I think that you can apply some of the latter part of that to the game today where you know, it really did feel like a slog. It did not feel like things were going well for Penn State, especially on offense. But early in the fourth quarter, it's a 30 to seven game. You know, the game is never really in doubt. You know, the defense had a lot to do with that for sure. Um, but I think that you know, the ability of Penn State's offense to kind of, you know, manage its, its self-inflicted damage a little bit, um, I think helped. But, you know, Drew Aller said that, you know, he also was asked about the downfield passing and the lack of that. And he said that it is something that they would like to do more of. But uh, he's, I think he said that teams are putting a safety over the top and really taking away, um, you know, those deep passes. So, Penn State is just taking what defenses are giving them. And, um, you know, in the first two games, that was a really efficient attack, um, especially from Drew Aller. Uh, today, it was not quite as smooth. You know, it felt like he sailed a couple passes. I know that he had the one slant to Caden Saunders that he threw behind him. It seemed like Aller was throwing. You know, he's done a great job of moving in the pocket and setting himself up for downfield throws but he had a couple throws where it felt like he was backpedaling or wasn't completely set. Um, so it wasn't the cleanest performance from him. Um, you talk about not having Harrison Wallace and someone that you picked for having a big game. I mean, I had him as one of my four touchdown catchers uh, in this one. So, uh, you know, that was also a, a bold prediction that that went a little awry. Um, but I think that overall, um, you know, I think that Aller, you know, 
he said that the one thing that he wants to do is lead this team to wins, uh, no matter what it looks like. And, you know, he did that today. The, the way that the ball was distributed through the pass attack, too, it was a lot of those short passes again. Caden Saunders uh, popped up a couple times on those short short passes, able to create some things that moved the chains at one point. Nick Singleton has obviously stepped up a, a, as a bit of a, a primary focal point uh, in the offensive attack. He had three catches today for 49 yards. Uh, he had one for 18, I think, against Delaware. He's been actually flashing more as a receiver than a rusher thus far this season, which is interesting because uh, today 11 carries for 37 yards. He did score a touchdown, did Singleton. K. Charnown led all players with 54 rushing yards on 13 carries. He also scored a touchdown. And I didn't think the numbers would even look that good by the end of this, Daniel, with the 54 yards for, for Katron and 37 for Nick Singleton, because through about two and a half, three quarters, you were really starting to compare the the results from 2021 or lack thereof on the ground. You're just wondering, what does Illinois have? What kind of book do they have on Mike Yersich where they just can't run the football? They can't find the space. And Illinois was investing in extra man. Uh, like once again, we've seen Penn State encounter uh, encounter this kind of approach. We, we've seen it early in the season. But, you know, they were keeping it one safety back. And then there was just another helmet there that, that was ready to clean things up in the ground game. And to Illinois' credit, until they really started to get worn down at the end of this thing and, and Singleton scooted for a score and, and Catron Allen got a little free they were making those tackles. They were bringing down these ball carriers on, on, at the point of contact. Uh, and the one thing you didn't see that we all predicted would happen, you know, my bold prediction was that Drew Aller was going to be the Big Ten uh, Conference Player of the Week on offense. I don't think I'll be holding my breath for, for that announcement <laughs> come Monday. Um, I, I thought they'd have more counter punches with this offensive attack. And and it obviously meant we, we thought wide receivers were going to make some splash plays. And without Harrison Wallace on the field, you know, you had Keandre Lambert-Smith, three catches, 23 yards. Most memorable play was where he had the nice cut back and, and, and got to the outside and picked up a first down on the adjustment there. Um, but you know, Thea Johnson had a 19-yard gap, 32, catch, uh, 32 yards on two catches. Um, Tyler Warren, another productive day, three catches, 35 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Liam Clifford, splash play that put them in a position to go up by nine instead of by six at halftime, 33-yard grab along the sideline on probably Drew Aller's best ball of the day. Um, but you're, you're looking for, for some other impact. Malik Mega certainly did not have his best game, the f first possession. McLean. Uh, uh, there we go. <laughs> McLean, uh, first possession. Uh, Aller looks his way a couple times, it appeared. The, the second time, miscommunication. No receiver was in the area. It looked like that was McLean's ball to be – to be, to be responsible for uh you know you don't know whether that's drew or malik and then prior to that there was a drop by mclean and, and that was unfortunately a bit of a tone for the day uh just not a clean day from the pass attack and james franklin attributed a, a bit of a lack of i don't think he used the word urgency but just didn't feel like the wide receivers brought it and he was talking about even early in the game just pre-snap kind of stuff and and, and the way they were approaching it so a bit of a public kind of call out to that receiver group. It felt like not, not, not super deliberate by James Franklin, but enough to say, I don't feel like you guys brought your best to the office today. And, and when you're in big 10 play, and this is a group that we've been saying, what are y'all about? You can't hang your hat on what you did against West Virginia and Delaware. This group needs to show up and get better week in, week out. And so now you're kind of putting that spotlight squarely again on Marcus Hagan's uh, collection of different receivers there. And, you want to see who steps up and whether Harrison Wallace is part of the fun uh, come next Saturday in that whiteout matchup. The, the two drops by Malik McLean were, were both pretty brutal. I mean, it seemed like that he was open. It was right there. 
Um, and it's just, you can't really have that. Um, you know, it felt like there were a couple of those miscommunications where Drew Aller throws the ball to a place where there's no one, you know, no one in white or wearing blue. Um, but I, I think that one thing that you really start to notice about Drew Aller is that kind of the, the way that he manages things with his receivers. You know, he had that ball that he threw behind Caden Saunders, and then they go right back to Caden Saunders on a screen the next play. Um, you know, there was a play in a sequence that I really liked uh, in the second half where they line up in the T formation for a short yardage play. They get the conversion, and then they go hurry up and don't sub. So on the next play, you know, Aller's in the shotgun. I think he's in, he might be an empty backfield or uh, the one of the backs might've been there, but they've got all three tight ends and at least one of the running backs split out. And I thought that was a really smart play, but he, I think he threw the ball a little too high for Theo Johnson. Um, but then right on the next play, he goes back to Theo Johnson who makes the catch. So, you know, I think that Aller's shown a willingness to, you know, go back to his receivers. I don't know if that's him saying like my bad, like here's, you know, what we're doing, or if it's just kind of the, the general confidence that he has, but that's something that has stood out to me a little bit, but the receiver play, it does kind of, you know, it, you're starting to notice it a little more, um, you know, some of these mistakes. I thought that what James Franklin said about that lack of urgency kind of in different words was, was something curious and something to, to keep an eye on. Um, I know that it didn't necessarily affect his play in the, in the moment, but Keandre Lambert Smith takes a, a pretty bad penalty um, in a key spot. So keeping an eye on those guys, it's, you know, you still kind of are waiting for someone to, to really step up and really have a, a big play. I think that Caden Saunders was maybe the guy that I came out of today most impressed with, um, you know, mm-hmm. catches for 19 yards. Isn't the, the sexiest stat line, but combined with the steadiness that he's shown um, as a punt returner, I think that you can see the arrow pointing up for him a little bit right now, but Harrison Wallace's status will be worth monitoring. Um, I do think that he's the type of player who is poised for a breakout this year, um, but he's going to have to be on the field and healthy to make that happen. Those Saunders catches just seem to come at a moment where this offense needed something. They, they needed needed more than just a two-yard run. They needed more than, than kind of an incomplete pass, which was what they were kind of giving at that stage of the contest. And I, I went back and circled back since we were both try, uh, having a little hard time describing exactly what James said about the receiver. So I'll just read the quote mm-hmm. that we have uh, from his postgame. He said, we had too many drops. Uh, we just weren't as sharp as I think that we have the capability to be. Felt a little sluggish early on, things like kind of how we motion and how we throw a look out of the formation. So uh, interesting statement there from James Franklin, and I think he's just putting the, the receivers on alert. Unfortunately, we haven't had a, a f- comprehensive look at this group together. Omari Evans missed time early. Uh, Malik Mega ha- has not been available the last couple of weeks. And, and now Harrison Wallace, who's been you know, a mainstay at the top of this conversation with Keandre Lambert-Smith, suddenly uh, absent as Big Ten play uh, gets going. So some concerns there. But um, look, overall, I, I think that you come out of this thing and you, and you imagine uh, Drew Aller, by the way, two passes, 
attempted in the fourth quarter of games thus far on the season. Two passes. One was a 25-yard touchdown throw to Malik Mega, Malik McLean. Someday I'll stop doing that uh, in the season opener. And then the other was, I believe, a 13-yard completion to Dante Cephas early on in the fourth quarter today before they scored and put this one away and got him out of the contest. So as much as we feel like we're learning about Drew Aller, and I feel like we did learn something today, we, we saw him take some some serious punches physically and mentally, I think, and, and just, you know, maybe from an ego standpoint too, as he was cruising through the first couple of games. And I liked how he was able to, to deal with that from a body language perspective. Uh, I liked that you didn't see him kind of fold pre or post snap. That's something you watch with a young quarterback on the road in a situation like this. And, and you can't say enough about uh, what this Illini front was able to do. And, and I think you probably, I mean, you can just spend a, a 30 seconds on here at least because he deserves it. Johnny Newton, they said it on the broadcast, and, and I wouldn't disagree with Joel Klatt on today. A lot of stars to monitor on the field. I know NFL scouts were swarming to this game, probably uh, spending some time in the buffet line with you. But uh, Johnny Newton, that defensive tackle for Illinois, he looked the part, uh, and 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 he showed up in a big way today. And, and there was a moment there where I thought he may have complicated things by maybe sending Drew Aller to the sideline with an injury. It wasn't ended up being that way but his presence was known he was you know throwing his body around out there your five-star quarterback right there along for the ride yeah and in terms of the nfl personnel uh, I, I jotted it down pre-game uh three seats for the detroit lions two for the atlanta falcons two for the chicago bears and then los angeles rams minnesota vikings baltimore ravens miami dolphins tampa bay buccaneers los angeles chargers buffalo bills so that's a lot mm -hmm. of people uh, from the next level, watching a, a game that I think had a, a decent amount of NFL talent on the field, but you know, Johnny Newton is just kind of was just kind of a game wrecker in the middle. Um, you know, six tackles, one tackle for loss, two pass breakups, two quarterback hurries. I mean, when you have a, a six foot five quarterback, you don't expect his passes to get knocked down uh, at the line of scrimmage. And you know, the fact that Johnny Newton was able to time things up. Uh, and and disrupt that I thought was really impressive. He's the one who also blocked Alex Falcons's 52-yard field goal. So he was just kind of all over the place, making things happen. I mean, that's a true talent uh, on on the interior of that defense. And I think that this Illinois defense, I, I think it probably came in with a bit of a chip on its shoulder after the way it performed the past two weeks. And I think that they were really ready to play uh, when things got started. They had that sequence where they stopped the T formation three times at the two yard line. Um, and I think that they, you know, they wanted to win this game. They wanted to be stingy and that showed in the early going. The Illinois defense is the reason why uh, if you were an Indy Lions fan and halftime hit, you were not just you know relaxed on your couch. You were okay. Let's get ready for the third quarter. This is going to be a buckle up. It's because that defense and what they did, I mean, it was a short field all day, it felt like, for Penn State's offensive attack. And if you thought about giving what we saw the Nittany Lions accomplish through two games and giving them that short field, their average start position, Daniel, their own 39-yard line uh, on average for, for Penn State. And they were just set up so well, and, and, and they came out of that first half. You think, okay, get the ball in a fumble you get a field goal out of it and you got that you got game possession there uh, you know in Illinois territory you gain possession deep in Illinois territory on an interception on the next drive uh, in the first quarter you only get a field goal out of that possession you lost 6 yards in that possession and then a third consecutive 
turnover by Illinois in the in that first quarter. Finally, the floodgates open. You get your first touchdown on the board. But it's 13-0 in a large part because the defense keeps handing you the football and say, here, you're pretty close. Can you figure out a way to get points? And Penn State was able to get two field goals and a touchdown. But later on in the game, you know, Penn State gets another touchdown, uh, a Nick Singleton score off of an interception. But prior to that, when they're in this mid-game lull and the door is wide open for Illinois to make this an upset alert kind of game where people tune in nationally and see Penn State sweat things out, uh, they had that three-and-out punt, if you'll recall, after the third interception by Altmaier in the third quarter. And that's where it was just like, man, Penn State, they, they had the opportunities to really put their foot on the gas pedal. You thought maybe they would take that shot. You'd see that shot. And they just didn't come up with it today offensively. And yet uh, still were able to batten down the hatches and get this one done because defensively, they just did not give Illinois the wiggle room. They did not allow Altmaier the, the opportunity to be that creative playmaker in a positive way instead that veered off course and and those playmaking skills that he presented early on in the season that we heard Jeremy Werner speak very highly of well they veered off course as I said and and they led to those five turnovers via interception there was another fumble recovery what did you make of this Penn State defensive performance Daquan Hardy a mean man over Kaziah is our the are back in town and they put this thing together today on the road I thought the Penn State defense was really opportunistic today um, I thought that it, it picked its spots to, to get these interceptions. I mean, it probably should have had more. Uh, Zachy Wheatley had a diving attempt in the middle of the field in the second half. Um, I think Dom DeLuca got his hands on a ball and couldn't haul it in. Um, you know, there's a chance that they could have had, you know, five or six interceptions. I know that Daquan Hardy said that it got to the point in the second half where, you know, he said that Hakeem, Hakeem Beeman told them that they were close to setting uh, some sort of record. I don't know if it was Penn State or what. Um, and so they decided that, oh, we we want to set the record. So, you know, they were playing very aggressive. And I think that they just made good plays and good spots that really have to do with being fundamentally sound. You know, the angle that I had on, on Johnny Dixon's interception um, down near the, the red zone, I mean, he ran that route better than the wide receiver. Like, like Dixon broke off the, the run and was waiting for the ball uh, from Altmaier. So I just thought that they played their good guys in the right spot at the right time. And when they had the opportunity to make a play, they really sealed it. And I think that that's something that we haven't always seen from Penn State over time. I think that, um, you know, we've gone through these, these runs where they haven't, you know, quite been able to stop a drive, to snuff something out. Um, you know, that's it's not easy to do this every game. They're not going to get four interceptions every game, but I thought that they were on a day where the offense was really struggling and scuffling a little bit. You know, they did what they needed to do um, in a big way to play complimentary football and to get this team a win that they needed. Manny Diaz was coaching with the full deck as far as we could tell. And I will check with you because you have a better vantage point from the press box, but they come out of this one intact from a health standpoint. We'll learn more about that in the coming week going into Iowa. But defensively, you just love their trajectory with Manny Diaz in his second year and, and so many trusted components. And a lot of the guys that we weren't necessarily sure about racking up all these snaps for the first few games here. And they're able to go deep in this contest. A bunch of guys get in on the action, come away with interceptions. Dom DeLuca uh, early on get, get, comes up with a big play on a forced fumble after after having the pick six. And then you've got uh, different guys with the interceptions. I, I'm curious 
when you talk individually today, because you actually had Dom DeLuca and Zaki Wheatley tying for the team lead uh, with six tackles. Uh, as I said, you had uh, all these different players getting sacks. Uh, two sacks for Kozai Izhard, by the way, in his return to the football field. You had Zariah Fisher uh, and, and Visa Isaac getting pieces of sacks. It just felt like one of those things where everybody gets on the plane and feels like they contributed you feel like this is a, a kind of a pivot moment for the Penn State defense because it felt like they were kind of playing with their meal a little bit in the first two weeks, and now they pounced. Yeah, I, I think that they did a, a great job of really shutting things down when they needed to um, at certain points. I, th I think when you look at guys that impressed today, um, I think Adisa Isaac looked really good coming off the edge. Um, he had that half sack where he – you know, I think he got there first, and then Zariah Fisher cleaned it up. Um, I thought that that was a really nice play. Um, you know, we saw Chop Robinson almost have an interception too. Um, and so I just think that they were getting co contributions from from each level um, of the defense. But it was you know they've had these games these first couple of weeks, and part of it is how many guys have played. I think, and also the opponents where. It hasn't quite been the the one guy that's come through with a game record performance. They've done such a good job of, of spreading the wealth around and having a lot of guys make you know a couple plays instead of needing one guy to make a lot of plays. Um, and I think that that speaks to the depth. But I do think moving forward, getting these pieces back, um, Daquan Hardy, Kaziah Izzard, and Amin Vanover. I you know it's the type of thing that can only help. Um, you, know, you talk about Hardy. He had the interception up the left sideline. That was just a really, really nice play where he tracked the ball, had positioning. You know, and for a guy who is listed at 5'9", to go up and get it and make the play, that was pretty impressive. Also, I, like, I felt like that was the first time I'd ever seen him take an outside snap. <laughs> um, you know, The past two years, it's been like he's almost exclusively played nickel. Um, you know, He said that after the game, he said that he's almost more comfortable playing on the outside because there's really only one way you can release. It's not like on the interior where a slot guy is going to go, you know, can go in any direction. Um, but I thought that getting Hardy back unlocked a couple things where you, in that six DB package for the Prowler, he can play in the slot. And that allowed them to move Johnny Dixon into that, you know, box safety dime position um, where I think we've seen what he can do in terms of rushing the passer and playing behind the line of scrimmage. You know, and then going How about to, his pick. How about his yeah. pick? That was that. Uh, that uh, there was four of them to to dissect, but that may have been the smoothest uh, in, in terms of just the cornerback oh. maneuvering, baiting, and and just taking that ball. He he ran the route, and like the the angle that I had, like the he just stopped, and the receiver kept running, and the ball came to him, and it was just. It was, I think a lot of these interceptions, you, like you said, you were kind of like, wait, what? What did he see there? And that was one where, you know, Dixon just did everything right. Um, it was there for the ball. So, you know, I think that he was able to get used in a couple different ways. And talking about Kaziah Izzard coming back, you know, he had the two sacks. One was in deep garbage time, uh, but a sack is a sack. And I think you, when you can bolster the interior of that line, you know, that's what you need. Uh, Izzard didn't start. Um, you had Hakeem Beeman and Zane Durant in there again, um, but we did see Izzard paired with Devon Elise a couple times, and I think maybe with Vandenberg once, and those are some of the, the heavier defensive tackles, you know, it's a little bit more beef on the interior. I think that Kazai Izzard could be, could be a starter at some point this year, depending on the matchup, um, things like that. 
Uh, and then Amin Vanover, just to touch on all three. You know, he didn't come in until the second quarter. Zariah Fisher was that number four defensive end in the rotation ahead of him. But we've talked about it before where he's a thicker, bigger defensive end. Um, and when you get into deeper into Big Ten play against some physical teams, I think that he's the type of guy that can help you. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think when we when we look at this defense, uh, and, and by the way, we got to give credit to the other guys who came down with interceptions. We mentioned Dixon and Hardy. You also had Cam Miller get in on the fun from that cornerback room, and then Abdul Carter early on with the, with a head of steam, and they tacked on a penalty to the end of that play. And Penn State was in a really good situation in the first quarter to build their lead. Uh, but but Daniel, again, it was a, a lot of guys involved there. We saw to an extent uh, a collaborative effort on the offensive line, but as we expected. A lot more of a tightened-up approach from Phil Troutwine. A lot more reps for guys like Olu Fashionu uh, than we've seen through the first couple of weeks. But I'll tell you what, uh, this is a reminder that you don't just pick up and, and keep moving forward from where you left off in 2022. This is a group that we are still learning uh, things about. They're still facing tests. And if you recall last year, didn't seem to hit their stride until late in the year after they had already dealt with some of that injury adversity. So you never know when it's all going to click. Today wasn't that day uh, to see the best of this offensive line in 2023. Uh, in fact, we you heard Joel Clad. You didn't hear it, but those of us watching the broadcast, um, he actually pointed out uh, Olu Fashionu as someone who was having a bit of a, a bit of a hard time in moments of this game. And you haven't really heard something like that pointed out about Olu Fashionu. And there were things pointed out about Drew Aller in this passing game that you hadn't heard. So if there was a need for humility applied to the offense, they got it a bit today. What did you think? of the offensive line. It was a massive struggle. Again, circling you back to the 2021 of all places uh, through a first couple uh, quarters of this matchup, they got some momentum late, ground them down. But it feels like we need another look at this team against another really quality defensive line in Iowa. Um, And that's going to be a heck of an eight-quarter sample size to really say, what's this group about? But what we saw today doesn't exactly lend you a ton of confidence that they're going to be able to to you know work the ball as they determine it against a team like Michigan or Ohio State as the stakes get higher. Yeah, it was really not the cleanest game for the offensive line, and you talk about the rotations. Uh, you know, they kept they did keep it really tight. Um, we saw Venga Yuane in there at both left guard and right guard at different times, and then we saw Drew Shelton in for Caden Wallace. Um, on a couple series. So, you know, I think that's kind of your top seven that we've talked about. Um, and within that top seven, you know that Ioane can play both guard spots and Shelton can play both tackle spots. Um, and then you would assume that if something happened at center, you'd probably see Nick Dawkins. Um, so he's probably the the eight when you. I'll get, and I'll give you, you this garbage. Garbage time because you were probably typing away, getting your gamer ready, and Mark was on the field doing his thing. But that last uh, stretch of offensive play when Bo Perbule is a quarterback, it, we saw you know kind of a, some movement up there. It was Drew Shelton at left tackle, um, but it, but it was it was uh, Yawane, it was uh, 
Ruley. Yeah, Ruley was Ruley. in center. And then Dawkins again at guard. So a couple of things to keep in mind. They keep Ruley's three straight games for a redshirt uh, freshman walk-on. This guy's certainly playing a bit for <laughs> Penn State. And then Dawkins at right guard again. Uh, but but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. They, they traveled Javen Williams. They traveled Anthony Donka. But a reminder, what we saw against Delaware is not going to be normal operating procedure. You're going to need insurance policies, but we're going to need Penn State to fine-tune their things. And, and you wouldn't expect it to go beyond seven, maybe eight guys max by design. Yeah. So I, I think that there's going to be a lot of offensive line film to take away from this. Um, you know, you, Caden Wallace had a, a costly false start penalty in a short yardage situation. Um, Olu had an uncharacteristic holding call uh, that, that wiped out a gain and, and put Penn state in a tough spot. So it, it just wasn't the, the smoothest uh, performance. It wasn't one that makes you feel super, super confident about things moving forward. I think overall, you're still confident in this unit, but like you said, you have Iowa coming to town next week and say what you want about that offense, say what you want about that team ceiling. Uh, I think that that's a team that's going to have a front that can maybe make things difficult for you in a couple different ways. It may not be fair, but where we are in college football, when only four teams get, get invited to that final party and a chance to compete for a championship. And it's so hard to get to Indianapolis within this conference and within this division that Penn State plays in. Every week, every play, it feels like you're not necessarily judging Penn State against who's lined up across from them. It's like, well, how would that go against Michigan? How would that go against Ohio State? And that's really the conversation right now in 2023. And I think there were facets of this game against Illinois. You know, was putting on that level of the Ohio State-Michigan where you think, Good thing it wasn't Ohio State, and good thing it wasn't Michigan on this particular Saturday. Uh, while the offense, we, we got a lot to dive uh, dissect there. And by the way, we'll be back Monday with our follow-up episode, as we always are. We'll get a chance to look at all the snap counts by then. We'll have a chance to, to get a second look at this game, and we'll be back with a lot more. But I wanted to get to, to one of the fun moments offensively, and unfortunately for Penn State, there weren't a, a lot of those today. Uh, Trey Potts throws a touchdown pass to Tyler Warren. Warren's back-to-back games reaching the end zone. He had three catches today. Uh, but Potts is the guy that, that James Franklin uh, put some love on this week, coming off 50-plus yard performance against Delaware, said he's really fit in, looking comfortable as the number three running back. They didn't even travel those two freshmen. So Potts is clearly the number three guy right now at that position. Uh, and he gets in the act here with with the play I'd imagine they've been working on since he got to campus. <laughs> well, Trey Potts said oh, they only put that play in. Last. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they only started putting that play in this week. Um, so – uh, you know, that's something that I guess came up in the game plan. They saw something with Illinois and, um, you know, it was kind of a, an interesting play when, when you watch the replay. And when you saw it happening in real time, I saw this too, that I didn't think they were going to be able to get it off because I thought that the linebacker or defensive back that Warren had engaged when Warren tries to disengage, he starts to go with him a little bit. Like it wasn't the smoothest, like just slipping him and going into the back. Um, but then he didn't go with Warren. So Potts had a, had a wide open throw there. Uh, Potts said that he'd never played quarterback at any level before. So it was something that was, that was pretty cool for him. But, um, you know, he's someone that we've talked about that is, you know, even if it might not show up on a Saturday, like today, one carry for two yards, he's still someone that is valuable to this team and could have a big role. Uh, I guess we just didn't think it would be with his arm uh, in this, in this situation. Do you think, from what you saw today, again, you have a better vantage point in the press box. That uh, Before we finish off with a couple points on penalties and special teams, do you think we're seeing 
much of this Penn State offensive attack. I mean, Harrison Wallace being out is going to impact things, but it felt like Illinois was saying, hey, you've got this five-star quarterback. Let's see him do it downfield. And it was still very much toward that intermediate short range of the field. And, and I know they don't want to expose Drew to too much early on in his career, especially in a situation like this. And maybe then the turnovers come into play. But how much do you think we've actually really witnessed on, on what Penn State is, is capable of as a passing attack? Because it just feels like it's so abbreviated through these three games. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot more that they can show. Um, you know, I, I think that that's probably something worth asking about this week is, you know, how much of this offense does Drew Aller feel that they've shown? Um, you know, how much does how much more does James Franklin think there is for them to do? Where can they improve? Um, just because, yeah, like we haven't really seen those deep shots. And I think that it is something that they're capable of. But at the same time, I think that they know that in that backfield with Drew Aller, that they have two horses in Katron Allen and Nick Singleton that, they can ride if they need to, you know, and even though what you look at today and 4.2 for Katron and 3.4 uh, for Singleton in terms of yards per carry. But I think that those are guys that can still move the chains when you need them to. So, you know, I, I think that they're going to pick their spots. Um, I think that in a way they've been you know, in that West Virginia game, it felt like they were almost a little bit more aggressive than they thought than we thought they would be. And now they're being a little less aggressive than we thought they would be. But I think that there's a big feeling out process that's happening in terms of, um, you know, opposing defenses are feeling out Drew Aller and Penn State is feeling out how opposing defenses are going to play Drew Aller. So that's something that I'm interested to see. Um, you know, they got to 30 points for the, I think it's the ninth or 10th straight time today. Um, they got some help from the defense in that, but they're still scoring. They're still moving the ball. Um, I just think it's just kind of happening and a little bit. The reality isn't quite what our expectations were in terms of what this looks like right now. Yeah, you hit on those final averages for Singleton and Allen, but I was thinking back to the portion of this game where those guys are probably both sub per carry and, and it's early third quarter and Penn State's up by nine and you're saying, okay, kill shot time, right? It's time, mm -hmm. to, time to send one deep. It's time to test this young man's arm and the first three possessions of the second half three and out three and out five plays in a punt and and you and you're leaving your defense out there and, and they made the plays but you're just that was the moment in the game where it felt like Penn State maybe could have taken a step forward in our eyes and maybe early in that second half and Drew Aller goes out there and carves it up a little bit it didn't happen in this game again you win by 17 points that's just an aspect of this Penn State team that is really going to determine a lot about the ceiling. And it's just an area that we're still waiting to see show up and really surface in a significant way uh, come game action. And just to, to kind of hammer home what you said about the, the run that Penn State has been on now, uh, eight consecutive wins, Daniel. you got to go back to that Ohio matchup in Beaver Stadium last year for their last defeat. During that span, their narrowest margin of victory, 14 points. That was against the eighth-ranked uh, Utah last year in Rose in the Rose Bowl. And 30-plus points in all those games. Only one opponent has scored more than 16 points during that stretch. Utah got to 21 in that Rose Bowl. Uh, James Franklin pointed to penalties as something that he's not pleased with. And, and you can imagine that two significant penalties there in the personal foul department, one on both sides of the ball. And then where are we at with the kicking situation? I think Alex Falcons has shown that he is the guy, a uh, 45 yarder on the road and Big Ten play will do that. He was three of four overall. He had one field goal blocked. And it just feels like 
not getting through games with clean special teams play. I know Stacey Collins would love to get through one of these games and not have a significant issue to, to point to, but you had it today. You got a field goal block, and that seemed to swing momentum. So let's finish uh, with a couple of, of, of I, guess, I guess, concerns, lower points of the matchup here before we get to your game balls and say goodbye. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the penalties, and I'm not sure what happened on the Devon Ali's uh, call. You know, there, I think there were a couple people that probably could have gotten called for a penalty there, and I think that Ali's might have just been the last person to do something or say something, um, and then he gets flagged, which sometimes that that's how it goes. Um, you know, I do think that the Keandre Lambert-Smith one was interesting because – I saw a lot of stuff on our message board and some stuff on Twitter about how it was a pretty weak call, um, you know, that it wasn't really a, a big call uh, or a good call in that situation. And I do think when you look at the, you know, the play in a vacuum uh, with Lambert Smith, uh, you know, just shoving a guy after the play, um, you know, I think that that's just kind of the, yeah, it's just part of football, you know, that happens. And I think that was sort of the explanation I saw from people as to why it was a bad call. But in the context of the game, you know, first play of the game, uh, Lambert Smith away from the play, decked an Illinois defensive back. You know, later in that, early in the game, I think it might have been on the first drive, he's drawing with someone, has to get, you know, separated a little bit. Uh, we had a hot mic moment with a referee, Um who was talking to someone about uh, number one and number three, which if you look at the roster, number three was Taz Nicholson, uh, an Illinois defensive back. Number one was Keandre Lambert Smith for Penn state um, and about their interactions and, you know, didn't say the most flattering things down there. So I think in the context of the game, uh, I think that that Lambert Smith penalty was one of those things where, you know, that record, you kind of build build that up, your permanent record almost, and it gets to the point where you do something and it's like that third strike. Um, so, you know, we've talked about it a lot with him in terms of the way that he plays the game, how emotional he is, um, you know, how that's good, but also the times that he gets into his head a little bit. You know, I do think that he bounced back and, and was fine, you know, Three catches for 23 yards, five targets, along of 18 or along of 13, had that really nice catch and run. Um, but, you know, and you can't afford to have those types of plays because that was such a big swing uh, in terms of having that penalty lead to that long field goal, which was blocked, and then going to the touchdown, leading to that touchdown. So that was a tough one to see uh, from, that was a tough one to see from. Uh, Keandre Lambert Smith, um, but you know, we'll watch that moving forward in terms of those types of penalties. Um, you know, talking about the kicking game with Alex Falcons, uh, we got to talk to him after the game for a little bit. Um, you know, he said that uh, he mishit that 52 yarder, he didn't strike it cleanly, um, and so it didn't come out right, and that's why it went down. He said that his range is probably around uh, 55 yards. He said that anything beyond that, he would have to muscle the ball a little bit more. Um, but, you know, he he struck me as a pretty realistic, confident guy. You know, we've talked to some of these Ivy League transfers before, like Hunter Norzad, like Eric Wilson, and they really do seem to approach the game in a, a pretty analytical way. Falcons talked about how the one thing that he really tries to do is not think um, anytime that that he's out there and that's something that he's really had to work on 
And he said it was, it's almost been easier to kick at Beaver Stadium uh, and, you know, somewhere like Memorial Stadium than it was in the Ivy League because he said in the Ivy League, anytime he went out there, he probably knew half the people in the stands. So the, the thought process was a little bit more like don't miss instead of where you get out to Beaver Stadium. And he said that it's just anonymous because there's so many people, they're all dressed in white, that it all just kind of blends together and that you know, it creates some, some white noise for him. But, you know, he, he was very realistic. We asked him a little bit about Sanders to Haydack and the competition. And he said that they have a really good relationship, that being in the competition has really helped them. Um, and that it's both of their jobs to be ready at any time. Um, Falcons made a comment like, you know, Sahadak struggled in week one. And so he was ready to go out there when, when they needed him. And that if he struggles next week, that Sahadak is going to be ready to go out there if they need him. Uh, which was immediately another reporter said, well, I don't think that's what people really want to hear at this point. Um, which, you know, Falcons laughed and it was a, solid and it was jokey interaction but you know he he understands what his role is you know how the kicking job works how these special teams jobs work but you know i do think that where they are right now he has a pretty decent hold on things but as we saw in week one you miss a couple that you shouldn't things can change it is interesting because we came out of last year or toward the tail end of last year and you're looking ahead and thinking what is the special teams outlook for 2023 and probably looking at the two scholarship you know, returners and, 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 you know, Sanders Sahadak being your projected place kicker. And then uh, Alex Paquetta, who's the, the punter last year, you bring in and you redshirt him. He wasn't on the, on this travel roster, uh, Paquetta. And then you've got Sanders Sahadak as the number two place kicker right now. So just shows you in, in specialist rooms, you, you can't afford to miss on years. And if they felt like they had to go outside the program right now, they have two transfer pickups uh, in those key spots at punter and place kicker. Uh, let's get to our game balls and more specifically your game balls. And you have your uh, piece on game balls and turning points immediately after the, the score uh, goes final in these matchups. You gave it to Falcons for special teams. I think that makes sense. Where do you land on offense? Where do you land on defense? <laughs> yeah, this, this is one of those games where it, it wasn't the easiest uh, to, to give out some game balls just because of the, the course of the game um, and everything. But just for offense, went to Trey Potts. I mean, yeah, we talked about the stat lines for the the running backs and Drew Aller and you know and the offensive line. No one really shined, I guess you could say, but I thought that Trey Potts, they needed him to do a very specific play in a crucial situation that could change things. And he did it. And you know, I think that that's really you know doing his job if things go the way that they're supposed to over the course of this year, he isn't going to be playing that much in meaningful action. And so I think that the fact that he was able to be out there in a big spot and deliver, um, you know, I think I thought that he was pretty deserving right there. I thought Nick Singleton had kind of a sneaky good game. If you're just kind of yeah. looking for, for guys, um, it, it's not flashing on the, on the scoreboard, but he had the, the put away touchdown, which he, you know, showed off his signature sprint uh, right down the middle, goes on touched essentially 16 yards. I think that was, but a couple of really big pickups uh, through the air. He had a 19 yard pickup on a third and one situation. Um, so maybe a little more impactful than people perhaps realize he's not putting up those huge Heisman trophy type numbers thus far as a sophomore, although he does have five touchdowns on the season so far and then defense i i guess you probably had the right line of thinking here you didn't go individual you went with the secondary itself and that's hard to argue with on a day like this because terry smith's got 
Daquan Hardy back. Anthony Poindexter is going deep in the safety room, and Manny Diaz gets to say, this is fun. Yeah, the the secondary, I think, really stood out, you know, just starting with those interceptions. Um, it was kind of funny talking to Hakeem Beeman after the game, and, you know, he said that, you know, he loves it when, when the secondary is playing like that because it lets them in the front know that they can tee off, and he knows that in the front when they're teeing off, it's making things easier for them on the back. So they're just really able to feed off of each other. Um, but yeah, I thought the secondary was was very deserving for those interceptions. And then I think Kalen King and KJ Winston also had big pass breakups on third downs uh, to get the Penn State defense off the field. Um, I think that's something else that that's pretty significant. Um, I know that both of them have been you know, decently quiet this year in in you know relative to the expectations that are there for them. You know, Kalen King, we think that he's going to be a first-round pick next year. K.J. Winston was called an All-American caliber player by some of his teammates in the spring. Um, but even though those guys didn't get interceptions, you know, they made some big plays too. Yeah, and, and it's a great day for the defense and kind of one of those days that you got a lot of film to review. And it could be a, a long-term very beneficial day for the offense. I think you, you review some of these uh, September clunkers or September days where you just don't put it all in the field the way you think. Oftentimes, you're either getting through by the skin of your teeth or you're getting tagged with a loss, and today they win 30-13. to 13. Great coverage from you, Daniel, on the road there, uh, finding a home in, in the press box at Memorial Stadium. A lot more to come from you at Lions247.com. Mark Brennan has a lot to come as well. He's out there for coverage. You guys get home safe. Appreciate the perspective, and, and fun as always talking to you on the postgame pod. We'll do it super-duper late together out of Beaver oh, Stadium no. next Saturday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, don't worry. You get some rest in between now and then, but that's what we have to lie ahead, uh, to what we have lying ahead of us. Yeah, going from an 11 a.m. kick to a 7.30 p.m. kick uh, for the pods, it's, it's always great. That's right. Well, 3-0 Penn State rolls on. We'll be back on Monday with a podcast in between now and then. Uh, check out our VIP con content. Ad. A lot brewing from the recruiting standpoint as that whiteout guest list comes together. Daniel will have his rewind. He'll look back at this game three for Penn State. I'll have a full uh, breakdown of the snap counts. Mark Brennan will have his report card and top takeaways from a 30-13 to 13 victory in the Big Ten opener. On behalf of Daniel Gallon and all of us at Lions247.com, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast.